Welcome all back to another episode of The Encouraging Word. Yes, that's right, friends. We have a podcast name at long last, and it is The Encouraging Word. If you were with us last week, uh, you got to be the first to to hear that breaking news. Uh, But we'll continue to uh, work that title in and and, uh, celebrate that uh, we do, in fact, have a <laughs> have a name. Celebrate it. Yeah. Yes, Stephen's <laughs> in a celebratory mood right now. Uh, thanks for ch- chiming in. But the encouraging word we, we feel like is a, a great um, uh, summary of what we're trying to accomplish here in our podcast and uh, also at the same time doesn't fence us in uh, terribly such that we – we can't um, we can't bounce around all sorts of topics as uh, we've been doing for some time now, and, and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed that experience. So the encouraging word is back for another episode, and uh, in fact, the second episode of our series, our current series on uh, things that, that people believe around the world, different faiths and, and traditions. And uh, we're excited to dig into one specific this week. Last week was an introductory uh, piece on that topic. And uh, we're, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty starting this week and, and for the coming weeks uh, just to, to enhance our knowledge of what folks around the world uh, believe that perhaps we miss out on, uh, just don't fully understand or, or get to experience uh, here living in the, the bubble uh, that is Northeast Ohio um, and, and with the uh, really anywhere around the world, you're, you're in your own little bubble, right? And, and uh, you can have diversity in some ways, but um, rarely are you living in places where you're exposed to, to many uh, folks of different religions and, and beliefs in the same small area. So um, just one of many reasons we want to dive into this topic. But before we get uh, too in-depth in it, uh, get uh, Stephen a chance to lead us into our, our FIT segment, which he's going right. to preview for you as well. Yes, excited about this. So... We have a fit sec- segment. Um, I don't know if we should call it getting fit with Paul and Stephen. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I have an opinion on that, Stephen, <laughs> but I, w- I won't voice it. We'll let you press right. um, So fit is, is an acronym for funny, interesting, and thought-provoking. So, um, so throughout our week, we think of something that's fit. Something that was either funny, interesting, or thought-provoking in our lives. Just kind of a fun fun segment before we jump into the podcast. So um, we're each going to share a moment. For me, um, I think I'll go with funny. I th- uh, my daughter, Anaya, who's, how old is she now? Three. Um, three, three years old, and she um, was watching her little tablet thing. Um, and we call it their phone, but it's not really a phone, it's a tablet. Um, but she saw the cartoon character having, they had a phone and they were talking on it. And she finally got this brilliant idea that she wants a phone that she can talk on it too. Um, so we're already in the process of uh, um, opening another line with Verizon. And um, no, not quite. <laughs> um, Yikes. Yeah, so we're all, she already wants to have a phone <laughs> that she could call people on. She's three years old. So I thought that was really funny um, how she um, really wanted that. But uh, I think I could almost use my kids for a lot of the fit section, fit segment, um, because they're just always saying funny things, thought-provoking things. They're just learning and soaking things in, and um, it's just they're always pretty funny so yeah your daughters are going to be uh, celebrities uh, <laughs> you know, right yeah. a few months from now because uh, yeah they're always 
uh, right. kids uh, kids say some interesting and, and do some interesting things. So I right. look forward to hearing more of those and uh, that whole notion of uh, squelching your, your child's desire for a cell phone is, is something that yep. I think all parents in, in uh, America have in common and just <laughs> right. a matter of how long we, we hold off on trying right. to keep them uh, at bay and, right. and that desire at bay. Um, and topic for a different day, but uh, yep. that, that is indeed uh, funny and interesting all at the same time. And <laughs> uh, Mine is, is probably not so much funny um, as uh, thought-provoking or, or maybe more interesting. I don't know which it, it fits into, but I'll just share it. I, I feel like um, you know, today and, and past couple of days it's warmed up quite a bit, but I was thinking back on the snow from last week, and I didn't share this. Uh, when uh, we had a couple of days of, of snow, um, I, I took opportunity to take some photos, and uh, there was something unique about snow in like mid to late April, uh, because what I realized is there's, there's already flowers on the trees. There's even flowers coming up from the ground, but the, the trees are flowering, and there's leaves, uh, or at least uh, the beginnings of leaves on the trees. And my experience last week was was that that was uh, very unique and, and kind of exciting and intriguing. Um, and beautiful that uh, we had clumps of snow, very wet and clingy snow, uh, attached to these trees that were in full bloom. And it was just a a sight to behold. So I hope you all get to enjoy that as well. Um, But uh, it's not very often that I'm thankful for snow, but uh, (laughs) having picked up on that unique uh, element of of snow in in mid-April, I I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, that's great. I actually... Went out last week and took pictures, too, um, of, yeah, it was a great backdrop to see the different colors of pink and yellow and red and on the backdrop of the white snow uh, makes really good photos. So, yeah, I think that was really fun. Um, it almost seemed like a clash between spring and winter, mm. um, but now finally spring is winning out, hopefully, and um, <laughs> I'm really ready for <laughs> summer. Um, and for consistent warm weather. I mean, we've had some warm days, but I'm waiting for that consistent warm weather. So, Amen to uh, that. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll keep on working towards that. Right. Uh, the snow is probably done, but, you yeah, know, of course, every time it. we say that, we <laughs> find out otherwise. <laughs> right. So our, our uh, topic today is, is um, the, uh, I won't call it a religion, although it, it could loosely be categorized as a religion, um, but we thought we'd, we'd start today by talking about secular. Uh, secularism. And uh, as we delve into that topic, uh, first of all, a few comments just in, in general. Uh, one, as Stephen uh, very eloquently stated last week, we are, we are not experts on, um, on any particular religion. Even we're, we're aspiring experts on, on Christianity, <laughs> but um, we want to make it clear that, that we don't see ourselves as experts. In fact, uh, most of our information that we're getting is, is pulled from, uh, at least thus far, a, a book entitled uh, The Compact Guide to World Religions by a gentleman named Dean Halverson. Uh, Compact Guide to World Religions. Uh, great information, great way of laying out uh, belief systems and, and kind of the, the Christian, um, uh, seeing these, these other religions through a, a Christian lens and uh, uh, some guidance on how to interact with folks and, and uh, witness to folks that uh, have these other beliefs. 
And uh, so we are not experts. We don't claim to be. And while we will uh, definitely speak and present from a Christian standpoint and, and uh, unapologetically um, just acknowledging our, our faith and our personal belief in Jesus Christ, it's not our intent to put down or, or, um, or, or judge anybody of a different religion. Uh, we just speak the truth in, in love as we know it. So uh, with that in place, we'll, we'll dive into secularism. Um, and, and religions in general, as we interact with folks with all sorts of different beliefs, and uh, we're going to break down, you know, how to interact with those folks and how to witness to them and, and uh, best witness to our faith. But um, I think it's important to state also before we dive in that um, it's, it's really, I think, through relationships that we best witness to people. Um, your, your success rate of, of engaging a stranger on the street in a conversation about uh, faith and, and trying to have essentially a, a, a debate as, as kind and as loving as, as you may present your, 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 your points and, and your beliefs, um, the, the truth is the, our best opportunity to engage people and, and really impact their hearts uh, for Christ is, is through relationships. Um, and so, of course, that means we need to seek them out and we need to uh, be putting ourselves in position to have relationships with people who believe different things. And, and for uh, some people in particular, uh, that means uh, leaving our local area and, and going uh, places, ministering to people around the world. I think we're all called to uh, participate in that in some way, shape, or form. Um, but uh, with that being said, we're going to dive into just some some concepts, whether you're trying to witness to people in, in your local area or participate in a larger uh, big picture um, concept of that in, in some other way, uh, how to interact with uh, with folks of differing beliefs. So secularism is our our first uh, the set of beliefs that we're going to tackle. Um, I'll lay down a few preliminary concepts and then let Stephen chime in with what he has. But uh, what what does secularism mean? Because it's a, kind of a broad uh, title for we're going to cluster together a couple of different concepts within that. First is is atheism. Atheism is simply the belief that um, there is evidence that God does not exist. Atheism uh, and, and atheists believe that God does not exist, and they believe they have evidence uh, to indicate that. Agnostic uh, is also under the umbrella of, of secularism for our purposes. Uh, uh, folks who are agnostics believe that there's not enough evidence to prove one way or another that God exists. Uh, so they, they are not believers, um, but they don't go as far as to say that they uh, have proof that God does not exist. Uh, so they, they, they are in that middle ground there. And then uh, Halverson in the book offers a, another uh, concept, another grouping, uh, that being a functional atheist. And uh, this person is um, somebody who's, who's just apathetic. They, they really don't have uh, any particular care to uh, process or consider God's existence at all. Uh, so they are um, just uh, functionally in, in how they live, uh, living as if God does not exist and, and they have no uh, particular passion to pursue uh, the question at all. Um, and, and secularists, uh, according to Halverson, uh, add up to about 20% of the world's population. So right off the bat, 
um, if we can just learn how to, to work with folks and, and love folks and witness to folks who are of these beliefs, we're already uh, having access to 20% of the world's population and an opportunity to witness to them. And of course, living here on the west side of Cleveland, um, reality is we're probably going to encounter more secularists uh, than we are uh, folks of any other belief system. So this is an important one to pay attention to. Could I only add something real quick, too? Yep. I think we would also incorporate in this um, in this belief system would be non-religious or nuns, um, people who don't hold any religious affiliation, um, because even when you don't hold a religious affiliation or you, you don't, you're non-religious, um, secularism is the underpinning of our society. It's like the underpinning belief of our society. So if you, quote-unquote, don't believe anything, um, secularism is the empowering philosophical mm-hmm. force behind everything that's kind of going on. So you, you're going to kind of, um, when you think deeply, your beliefs are going to line up with um, a secularist belief because that's just kind of the underpinnings of our society mm-hmm. um, so I would incorporate nuns or non-religious as well so kind of how I interpret that is um, and I think we were, we were going to touch on this eventually but everybody has a belief system right um, mm-hmm. and a person who says that they are non-religious um, the, you know they might characterize themselves as having shunned and pushed off all religion uh, right. but in reality they've just replaced religious beliefs with a, another That's more like secular um, you know right. adherence to, to social codes and, and uh, right. everything that our society feeds them on a daily basis that's those are the beliefs that they have embraced uh, in in place of uh, specific religion right. I think that's a great point um, I, I wanted to kind of take us through a quick summary of how we arrived in a, a world with uh, 20% of people adhering to this secularism uh, category. Um, but uh, did you have anything else, Stephen, or you want me to dive right into that? No, yeah. And I think it's uh, also a segment that's growing. It's 20%, but this I think this book was written in 96, so... <laughs> quite a while ago. Mm. Um, I still think the information is pertinent, um, but it is also to say I think it's grown. Um, atheism, secularism, especially non-religious, has grown since this book has been written. Um, and But yeah, I, I think it's um, definitely something that, as Paul said, is um, may not say they have a specific organized religion, but um, we do believe that everyone believes something. Um, every um, secularism answers those big ultimate questions of reality and death and, and questions of those, those big questions, purpose and meaning, existence. Um, secularism gives answers to those, which all religions do as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so... Uh, Folks may not know this about me, but I, I enjoy studying history. Uh, my undergrad degree is actually in, in history, oh. and uh, so you know maybe I get more excited about this than others. But Are you uh, going to be a history teacher? Uh, you know, I, I think, um, in, in all honesty, I really had no idea what I was going <laughs> to be. I just liked studying history and, and doing it in a very expensive way. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had, I had a few thoughts, but I hadn't really settled on anything. And, and history is a degree, right, you get, and it's usually like a, 
a, a stepping stone to something else. Right. I had yeah. no idea what that next yeah. stone was going right. to be. Yeah. Uh, but it was fun to study history for, right. for a few years. Uh, but in, in relation to our topic today, I thought um, I find it interesting to, to see how we got once again to this world that is so secular in nature. And it all started uh, back in the, the 15th century with the invention of, Stephen, uh, printing press? The printing press, ah. yes. Very good, very good. Uh, by by Gutenberg. And uh, even if you didn't uh, go to, to uh, uh, history or a university for history, you probably picked that up at some point um, in your childhood and beyond. But uh, the invention of the printing press led to two things. Uh, one is, is the, the Reformation. And which is an, another great topic for a different uh, different podcast, Steve. We'll have to come back right. to that. But um, how uh, Christianity changed and adapted to this notion that everybody in the world all of a sudden had access to uh, Scripture, or at least many, many more people did. Um, and all of a sudden there was this notion of reformation that, boy, we needed uh, to change how uh, the, the Christian church is structured uh, and grant people more access to Scripture, and, and that means more accountability uh, for, for leadership and such. So that came from the, the printing press, but also uh, the Renaissance. Uh, so these, these R words, Reformation, Renaissance, <laughs> both came out of the printing press. Renaissance was just the, the idea that uh, suddenly all of these humanistic themes of um, of art and science and and um, uh, all of these uh, new areas that people wanted to study and, and understand better were popping up all at the same time as people were um, seeking a greater sense of individualism uh, and independence and just to to celebrate uh, individuals and and their understandings and and um, who they were and what would what what they were achieving so the Renaissance uh, had within it. Uh, a great deal of scientific um, accomplishment and, and study. Uh, the three guys that uh, Halverson lays out in the book are, were Copernicus, uh, Kepler, and Galileo, uh, probably names that you've heard before. These were three of the leading scientists of their day. And uh, so science became a big deal uh, back in, in the 1400s. Uh, the interesting piece is that all three of these gentlemen were, were men of faith. Uh, they believed in, in the God of, of Christianity. They had no desire to create this uh, rift between science, which was their passion, but also their faith, which was a, another passion of theirs. Uh, but that didn't mean that uh, that didn't uh, come uh, from the, the changes that were occurring in, in the greater world. Um, so they, they made all of these great scientific discoveries, um, but uh, some of them, at least in that time period, based on the understanding that they had both about religion and about science, they seemed to be in conflict with what the church had been teaching for, for centuries, uh, dating back centuries. And so the academics of the time, not necessarily the scientists, but the academics at the time had to uh, figure out how to justify these, these conflicts, these, these differences. And so they started saying, well, somebody's got to be wrong here. We're going to blame the church. We're going to say the church has, has got it wrong all this time. And uh, science proves that there's, uh, the, the church is wrong, religion's wrong, and science is right. And, uh, of course, the church had to respond at the time as well. They were kind of forced into a, a corner, and so uh, the church had to take a stance uh, that, that science was wrong as well, and thus began this conflict between science and, and religion. And uh, more fuel was poured on the fire when this guy named Descartes uh, came along and, 
and started this philosophical trend of, of uh, let's doubt everything. Everything is is untrue until proven otherwise. And uh, faith and, and uh, the, the very foundation of Christianity was put under the microscope as uh, people took on that, that approach, that mentality towards life. And the rift between science and the church uh, began to grow. Um, for, for most of this time, for centuries after that, you know, people still believed. It was still unusual to find somebody that didn't believe in God, didn't have a personal faith. Um, but a lot of that was because uh, there wasn't a full uh, scientific explanation for why we exist and, and the origin of the universe and such. And, and when Darwin, uh, Charles Darwin, came along with his origin of species in 1859, uh, that changed. And all of a sudden, this theory of evolution and, uh, and science uh, had an answer for, for everything uh, supposedly that the church uh, was dropping the ball on or the church didn't understand or, or had brainwashed people to understand. And so we arrive, uh, of course, um, 1859 is a long time ago. <laughs> we've we've uh, developed a, a lot more of uh, secularistic tendencies and thoughts around that since then. But um, this rift began to develop, and uh, a lot of folks uh, – today believe that the two are incompatible science and and reason and uh faith are, are incompatible and the church is still trying to figure out how to address that um in each uh, each church family in different ways but that's kind of how we got from where where uh we were you know back in in bible times and beyond where where religion was almost automatic everybody believed everybody uh had a personal faith to where we're at today we're 20 percent of the world um and sometimes i think even that number sounds low to me i don't know maybe it's just me um in my context that i live in but 20 percent of the world um have no uh, true belief in god so uh where do we go from there Stephen? do you want to cover like some of the basics uh what if they don't believe yeah we, what do they believe right yeah we can cover some of the real basics and again like this is, and this is going to be true for every belief that we talk about. Um, we're going to look at the, these beliefs in a very broad, um, very, very broadly, um, so that you're you're going to run into individuals or even sects or denominations or um, that are going to think um, differently. Um, they have different nuances on this and that, but um, so we're speaking very broadly. So. Broadly speaking, the basics of the faith and what um, the secularists would believe and really what our society pushes um, is, one, is the denial of God, um, and that is matter is all that exists. God is nothing more than the projection of man's own thoughts, um, so that all religions are really kind of quote-unquote inventions, um, and they have their reasons for inventions, for inventing God. Um, and then another one is the denial of miracles. Um, if there's no God, then God can't intervene in life, um, so no miracles. Um, the centrality of science, uh, as Paul just mentioned, that science is the only reliable avenue by which to discover truth and knowledge. Um, so science in atheism takes a critical, critical um, role as a central focus. And again, you can see this in our society um, that usually science, when we see science or scientific facts and um, what we see, what's observable, um, empirical data, data is really important. Um, those things are held up very, very high in our society. Um, that science is, has something that we know is true. Um, 
And then there's relativity. Uh, it denies an absolute moral reference point beyond humanity. Humanity is basically, um, thought is basically good. And through education, um, do we realize our goodness or through education do we um, get rid of all the struggles and problems that we have there's there's a real emphasis that the problem in our society is ignorance or not knowing enough and that through good education through good educational programs if we continue to educate people more and more um, they'll be better people um, and then finally one of the last ones is death. At death, the individual simply ceases to exist. There's no, no afterlife. Um, this is all that there is. This life that we live right now, today, um, is all that there is. There's no proof because you can't. When it, if, if science is the central focus of what you believe, you obviously can't prove or disprove, which is also important. You can't prove or disprove the afterlife, even though I would argue that in Christianity you see proof of the afterlife and Jesus' resurrection, but we'll get more to that later. Um, so yeah, those are those kind of the basic basic building blocks, even though there's much more to it. Um, the, the denial of God, the denial of miracles, the centrality of science, relativity, um, and death. Um, those are kind of like the main um, beliefs, foundational beliefs that um, would define a secularist. Um, pretty healthy list of beliefs for something that's not a religion right, it's right, a, right. which is i think something that right. it's important for us to recognize that uh, once again everybody's got everybody believes right. something right, right. and right. You, you get to make up your own choice as to what that is and uh, i think one of the the key pieces in our society is uh that's missing is that people are even taking the time to consider uh, what what they believe and process mm -hmm. these things and I think uh, ultimately the lack of uh, that pursuit leads to secularism just as much as anything else. Right. But uh, so, what do you think, Stephen? Like, I'm processing what what you're saying and saying that uh, secularists and and I've encountered this quite a bit believe that because or, or the, that that uh, people of religion um, embrace the religion that they do. Uh, as a way to basically make them feel better about life and, and be less afraid of, of death uh, that uh, from a secularist view is, is the end. And, uh, you know, I've, I've encountered this quite a bit, and it's really it's a hard point to argue, even though in my heart and in my mind I, I know that that's not the case, but that is a tough one to, to, to argue. Right. Um, so are you saying that they would say a lot of, people fall religions out of a sense of comfort is that what you're kind yeah, of yeah yeah that uh, our, our well, brains have right yeah. i i think <laughs> that's why i thought about this before too but i think um secularism when you start to look at life when you look at your own life a lot of what we do is motivated out of fear um fear of different things fear of the unknown fear of the future fear of um someone else fear of what we're how we're going to be perceived fear of our own abilities I mean fear runs so much um, and I think fear is also one of the motivating factors for secularism and secularism gives the comfort that people are looking for so for example like if there is a God 
that that's like we don't want there to be a God, right? So there's more comfort in the in the knowledge and the belief in the belief. I would say that there is no God because then then we're not held accountable to some quote unquote higher being, right? There's there's a fear if there is a higher being that we're held accountable, but there is no higher being. So that that's a sense of comfort or um, the sense of relativity, right? We don't have to deal with a moral question, right? It's all relative. It's relative to where you live. It's relative to the people around you relative to your family so again that that the fear of if i'm held accountable by some moral law then i must then my life matters and how i live my life matters but if there is no moral law and it's all relative up to me um then i that i erase that fear and really too one of the central focuses i would say of secularism is um the central focus is you like you you are the one that determines right and wrong you're the one mm-hmm. that determines everything i mean it's like it's a, the central focus is on you um and and i think that's also a sense of comfort for someone who's a secularist because they don't have to you're not held accountable to anything or anyone you're only held accountable to yourself mm-hmm. um and that's a sense of comfort because it erases the fear of any accountability and also right down to death right if there's if there's something after death, <laughs> then there's like, uh, then we have a problem, right? Because this is the only life we live. Uh, but if this is the only life we live and this is it, right? And then it's just like, that really um, changes how you live. I, I think in my own life, when I think of things um, that there's life after death, um, I would say I have a much more patient look at life and and maybe things may i may not experience in life but that's okay because i believe that i'll experience the fullness absolute fullness of life and absolute fullness of myself and who i am and the fullness of a community and the life that is to come in christ right there's there's that hope that i have that even though i might not have the fullest experience here in heaven it will be Um, but if but a secularist would not have that sense of um this this is it to them right and they to erase the fear of death they just let's just live um how we're going to live right so i i think we're all seeking in other words we're all seeking crutches (laughs) we're all seeking some way to cover our fears that's just a human it's just a human human nature so this is again for someone listening right now don't allow someone to kind of pull the wool over your eyes and say well all the religious people believe this because they're so afraid and they're trying to fill in the gaps of knowledge and they're just doing this as a crutch well it's like it's, it's, it goes the same way um it goes back that they use their faith or what they believe as a crutch as well to protect them from the fears of well if christianity is true right so um yeah i think it goes both ways yeah, to to really uh, simplify things, and it's uh, you know, well, to, yeah, to really simplify things, you could almost make the argument that a, a secularist uh, is is uh, who they are and embraces what they embrace because of their fear of of life and, right. and living yeah. in a manner um, that a, an existing God would require them to live. Or, or expect or, or invite them to live. Right. And uh, Christians or, or religious folks um, are operating out of a fear of, of death. You know, secularists would make that argument that right. religious folks are operating out of that fear. You know, so yeah, <laughs> fear is such a, a pivotal piece in all right. of this. And um, 
you know, we can argue back and forth uh, who's more afraid and <laughs> and uh, what we should be afraid of. Um, and that's where, you know, it's, it's a circular uh, piece of reasoning. But as a person of faith, I can sit here and say, well, I, you know, certainly I, I acknowledge that I have fears and, and my faith does um, provide comfort and reassurance in those fears. But that is not the the basis. Uh, that's, that's not the the uh, meat and potatoes of my faith, right? My faith is is composed of something entirely different um, than just a reaction to fear, you know. But of course, all of that's subjective. You can make that argument; doesn't mean people have to believe you. Um, and and as you said, uh, talked about the relativity of of morality. Like everybody gets to decide their own right and wrong. Um, and there's something very attractive about that way of going through life and it's uh and it's really in many ways it's it's um because religion has uh, faded in its influence and and secularism has increased our society reflects more of this this new concept that morality is uh relative everybody gets to decide uh, for themselves what's right what's wrong there's no um there's no supreme moral authority and uh, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm terrified and, and intrigued at the same time to see as this trend continues, you know, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, how is our society going to function around this notion that everybody gets to dictate for themselves what's, what's right and what's wrong? Like eventually you, you lose the ability to uh, appease everybody's uh, personal moral code because they, they bump into each other too much. And uh, you're just insulting and offending people left and right. And I, you know, I think there's some valuable things coming from this this trend in society that we certainly do need to respect and, and affirm people in their individuality and uniqueness. Um, but I think there's some terrifying things too when we take it to that extreme, and when we we pursue that at, at the expense of our uh, faith and, and the foundation that God has provided right. for us. And I think. We'll get to also kind of like contrasting secularism and Christianity. I wanted to say a few things quickly that um, I think it's always good to, to study different beliefs because it helps you to understand your own belief even better and understand why you believe what you believe. Um, but you also, you could look at secularism and some of the weaknesses of it too is that they have a hard answer. It's really hard for them to answer, um, have an answer for suffering like and have an answer for why how can someone who's educated so well still commit horrendous crimes right education if all of us know that educated people are just as liable as committing the most horrific crimes right education in, in no way does that assure someone as being morally good which again you're like what is good in a society where there's really no morality consistent as paul said this anchor for morality um, and also, if, if too, if the world really functioned as Darwin would say in the survival of the fittest, it's like um, we, we, we know in a society we don't live in a survival of the fittest sort of mentality because then all the weak people would be killed. But when you see that in history, we know that is wrong, right? So we know there's an inherent goodness and wrongness to things, even though we may want to believe that, oh, it's just survival of the fittest. But then when you live your life, you don't live it that way. Um, so there's just a lot of contradictions within secularism that doesn't just fit the bill. Anyways, we'll look quickly at some of the 
we've already talked about this, some of the contrasting secularism and Christianity. And again, as Paul said, we're coming from um, the book, uh, The Compact Guide to World Religions. It has a fantastic um, chart that really breaks it down. But I'll kind of only mention a few. I won't read through all of them. Um, uh, a contrast with secularism is humanity's problem. So a secularist, and this is really broadly speaking, okay, so you're going to find nuances and differences with, with people. Um, one of the problems with the problem with humanity, the problem is that humanity depends on the escapist promise of religion, as Paul just mentioned, rather than facing problems squarely and believing that humankind has the potential to create a world in which peace and justice will prevail. Um, and in Christianity, the human problem is the problem is that humanity has rebelled against a person, holy God. As a result, we live for ourselves and place our hope in false gods such as success, money, nature, science, education, etc. Um, so both of those problems are different, are going to lead to different solutions to those problems, right? When we have those um, contrasting problems of uh, between education and escapist mindset and secularism where Christianity says no it's about owning up to our own sinfulness and brokenness um, and apologies if you can hear <laughs> the train the, the Thomas the tank engine in the background yes so. yes <laughs> um, and then I'll talk about this one too uh, the contrast between Jesus Christ right and that's an obvious one um, a secularist would believe at most Jesus was a good moral teacher because the the biblical authors embellish the details of Jesus' life. That's what they would say. Mm. Um, though we're not certain of every little concerning every little concerning the historical de uh, details of his life. In other words, I would say in general, when, when I've talked to someone who's a secularist or atheist and agnostic, whatever, um, it's typically they believe Jesus was a good person. Um, whereas, of course, with contrasting it with Christianity is that we believe Jesus was the Son of God, um, that Jesus lived, died, and rose again from the dead. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are some of the contrasting, real basic contrasting views. But and, uh, Yeah, and I, I think uh, once we have that foundation laid of, of where we're coming from versus where secularists are coming from, I think, uh, you know, to give you some more tools for your tool belt, um, just to talk through some of the ways that you can uh, you can communicate with them, witness to them, um, and and I think there are two different angles. One is uh, what are the arguments that you can make uh, that establish the evidence for your faith, and then how can you respond uh, to their objections, their their criticisms. Uh, so real quickly, and and we'll kind of fly through these, and and to, uh, for the most part, these are these are. Um, arguments and concepts that y you need to do more than just listen to this you know quick five minute summary from <laughs> us if you're really gonna right, get out right, there and, right. and impact people right. um, you, you have to do some pretty extensive research and right. this uh, book that we're using maybe is a good starting point right. um, but there are other resources that it, it sends you to to dig further into these um, but first of all 
when you encounter a secularist, um, don't just assume that they've never been introduced uh, to the God of, of Christianity. It may be the case that uh, somehow, you know, even in, in, in Ohio, they grew up in a bubble and they've never really heard uh, Jesus and, and the story of um, Christianity and the gospel proclaimed to them before. Uh, so don't just skip over that step and assume it's not necessary. You may be encountering somebody from a um, a, a nation elsewhere in the world where their uh, the primary religion is is one that um, is very little in common with Christianity, and so introducing them to um, our our God and this uh, notion of a personal and loving God is a great place to start, uh, even if you think that uh, they've already had that encounter. Um, and then beyond that, uh, what are ways that we can provide evidence that uh, our God does exist? Because the, the basic crux of secularism is that uh, uh, they don't believe from a scientific and, and uh, logic level that, that God is real. Uh, first of all, and I'm going to throw this out there in like two sentences, and there are probably millions of books out there written on it that uh, you really need to look into. Probably not all of them, but one or two um, to, to uh, better equip yourself to, to have this conversation. But the origin of life uh, is obviously a, a long-running um, uh, problem and, and debate uh, that that uh, secularists would throw in Christians uh, face and and vice versa um, but simply the the fact that our universe um, even from a scientific standpoint the evidence is that it had a, a clear beginning it did not exist uh, um, forever going back forever and ever and ever there's a clear beginning and there's actually an argument in Halverson's book uh, to to prove that um, and all I'll say is it has something to do with the the decreased uh, availability of energy in the world that if uh, if the universe had been around forever then the uh, current science shows that we we would be uh, flat out out of energy uh, of all sorts of different types now. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on it, but that's uh, kind of the, the nature of the argument is uh, there had to be a clear beginning and it had to be recent enough that all of these energy sources have not been exhausted. Uh, so there is a clear beginning, and, and if that's the case, to look at the complexity of the world that we live in and the incredible design, and I use design indicating <laughs> where, where I come from, that, that it, there really has to be an intelligent creator or an intelligent source that brought about such a complex uh, universe. And uh, uh, evolutionists, secularists, would maybe argue that uh, evolution says that the world uh, came about by a random uh, set of processes uh, that, that nature provided on its own. Um, but uh, if you look around you, and, uh, and scientific evidence backs this up, if nature is, is left alone to do its own thing, it, it does not uh, create new complex and, and intelligent concepts or ideas or patterns. Uh, it destroys patterns. It, it creates chaos. Um, so the idea that something uh, as beautiful and intricate and complex as our world was randomly created uh, by this uh, chaotic, chaotic force of nature um, is, is quite a stretch. And then uh, Stephen 
hinted at it a, a few minutes ago, and I, I, I want to almost jump in there, but uh, the human conscience, the fact that human beings have a sense of right and wrong uh, that survival of the fittest has not led to uh, the complete destruction of our race, uh, except for what one person, whoever's the fittest, gets to, <laughs> gets to survive. Is that right. the idea? But uh, the fact that we have a conscience is, is clear, and what is the origin of that conscience if not a, a creator, a personal God? Right. Yeah, and I, and I uh, with as we're in this uh, talking about suggestions for for evangelism or how to speak um, to someone, and again, I I would generally hold if someone is non-religious, they're probably going to have views that are similar to a secularist view. Um, but one I would say, as we would say with all religions, that we treat everyone with dignity and respect mm-hmm. and listen carefully, and I think. One, one, actually, one of the best tools that we have as a Christian um, is to listen. As people, it's just to listen. I, I realize in some of my, um, I, I realized when I was working at different places, just how, um, how much just listening is is a sense of evangelism. Because people like I've never had someone listen to me the way you're listening to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, listen and ask questions. Really try to get to know someone and. And even kind of share with things that we have in common with, like um, I would say Christianity has the same uh, commitment to reason and logic. I would say Christianity has a willingness to wrestle with tough questions, um, and and a belief that one person doesn't have all the answers. I mean, there's there's similarities between um, Christianity and and some of the very as we say, some superficial, more surface level secularist beliefs, right? Um, no, I, a matter of fact, I, I love science. Like, I look up, if you went through my <laughs> YouTube recommended uh, videos, you're going to find a lot of scientific videos on there because I, I just find science fascinating. So I think that's a commonality. Um, I think also with evangelism is that we need to help others see that we all have beliefs. Um, an atheist is someone who believes there is no God. Furthermore, they believe they have the ability to absolutely determine whether or not the evidence is objective. In other words, many of them don't recognize that they too have faith, that they have a faith, um, um, that they have a faith too in believing the faith that there is no God. Um, they have a faith, a faith in the reliability of their rational powers and the beliefs that they should um, only believe things that they can prove. So there's definitely a f- everything. I mean, again, everyone has a faith element in their life. No one is walking about, rocking around with complete 100% certainty. Um, everyone has faith. Um, it's just, it's just, again, being part of human, part of humanity. And also, I would uh, pursue hearts through their heads. So, like having, as Paul just talked about, different arguments and understandings, um, really good, sound arguments against some of the things that secularists will push. And sometimes even secularists would kind of assume like it's just this is just the way it is. But a lot of things that um, secularists may talk about are more theories than evidence, right? Mm. It's there's a big difference between a theory and a fact. Um, big difference. So that's that's a theory is, is can be debated. We can talk about it, um, but obviously facts are different. And then finally, I would say that you can't 
in the same breath, you can't argue someone into faith. Like, I, I don't... Right. Many of us haven't had an example of someone like, oh, yeah, you won that argument, so now I'm going to become a Christian. Um, it's usually a mixture of things of talking about it, um, but really it it's all goes down to relationships. How we treat people really, in, in a sense, speaks more um, than just speaking of our faith, but living our faith has uh, much more power to it um, in affecting the lives of others. So making sure that... Um, when we preach it, we also live it and walk mm. it out um, is really critical. So don't just talk the talk, yeah, but right. yeah, I, I hate to use cliches, but you know <laughs> when it's just like hovering out there right. and you got you got to right. put words to right. it. Uh, we also promised just uh, quickly a few ways to respond to the objections uh, that uh, secularists might offer us uh, about our faith, and uh, so I'll run through a few of these real quick. Uh, one is that they they would reject the idea that an all-powerful and a good God would still allow evil to exist in the world. Um, and this is another ongoing topic that we can go back and forth uh, for, for centuries on, uh, human, uh, humanity has. Uh, but first of all, um, the idea of suggesting that evil exists, even getting to the point of framing the question, suggests that there's a standard for morality. If there's evil, there also has to be the opposite of evil or, or a scale at, at which you can place evil on. And uh, how do you get a, a, a concept of morality at all, good versus evil or, or anything in between, if you don't have a standard for that? So uh, the question itself is pointing us to the existence of, of a God, or at the very least, a, a source of a moral standard that I don't see existing in the scientific world. Um, second, God could have uh, eliminated the possibility of evil by forcing his uh, creations to to be uh, good at all times and make good and wise and responsible decisions at all times. Um, but then that butts up against the concept of free will. And uh, we can't have uh, a relationship of love with our creator uh, without free will. So it basically comes down, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a world free of evil and also have uh, personal freedom. Um, and, uh, and that personal freedom to choose to live a relationship of love with your creator. So uh, God could have uh, eliminated evil. He still could, but he would have to do so by uh, creating machines, not not human beings. And uh, we can't, once again, have it both ways. Uh, third, uh, the reality is that, that God has already addressed the problem of evil. Uh, what it comes down to is God hasn't done so in a way that we want. There's so many people think that he should. He doesn't just uh, wipe it clear like he's uh, got one of those magic erasers that Stephen uses to, to clean his walls, you know, when his oh, daughters yeah. get the crayons and, oh, yeah. and go crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yesterday we used it. Oh, just yesterday, yeah. see? What, what good timing. <laughs> but uh, God doesn't take a magic eraser to evil in the world because of what we just stated that, that deprives of us of our free will. Instead, uh, he did solve the problem of evil by sending his son and offering his son as a sacrifice to answer the, the problem of evil, still allowing us the free will to choose to receive that gift, um, but people still complain. And of course, um, you know, we all <laughs> we all want to complain when we're going through horrible stuff that is a product of evil, so that's just human nature. I'm, I'm in there too, but um, God has solved the problem. He just hasn't eradicated evil in the way we wanted or maybe as quickly as we would like. 
And uh, next is how can a just God condemn those who have never heard of him? Um, and uh, once again, we're, we're kind of begging the, or we're kind of answering our, our question by framing the question itself. If there's a just God that uh, begs that there's a concept of justice out there, and we can't once again have justice if you don't have a standard uh, for it. So we're already pointing to a, a need for a supreme moral being just by saying that there is justice or concept of justice in the world. Um, but uh, I, I don't see anything in Scripture, Stephen, that tells me that God condemns uh, people who have never encountered or, or received uh, his words, who have never been witnessed to. I do see the reality uh, that a lot of people are uncomfortable with, that God uh, does uh, condemn or allow essentially people to condemn condemn themselves by the, the, uh, turning down his gift of grace. Uh, people who have rejected uh, truth and rejected that gift, um, those folks are, are choosing their own fate. Um, essentially, but I personally believe that God does not condemn people who have not been offered uh, the gift, and those who live their life in this world are, are not offered the gift. I, I think that God's grace um, has a means of uh, allowing those people an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ uh, in a different manner. And and uh, you know, God knew we would have so much fun debating this uh, throughout the history of the world that He didn't spell it out clearly in Scripture. Uh, he lets us just. Uh, uh, toss around ideas back and forth, but um, I don't think God uh, condemns uh, people who don't have the opportunity to receive him. And then the last set of, of rejections or concerns from uh, um, secularists are, are about Scripture itself. Um, and the first thing you can offer to somebody who, who condemns uh, the authority of Scripture or the nature of Scripture is uh, to, to encourage them to actually read the Bible. A lot of, a lot of times that alone is itself uh, a, a good way to solve that problem. Even if they come back with more questions and more concerns, they also are, are being impacted by the, the Spirit speaking to them through the Word. And uh, you're, you're planting seeds by doing that. Uh, but friends, our, our Bible is incredibly historically accurate. Um, and uh, the Bible is incredibly uh, united in, in that there are 66 books written by tons of different authors over a period of 1,500 years, and there are, are some would say no discrepancies, some would say very few. Uh, it's a, a reliable source. Um, the fact that biblical authors writing in time periods when we didn't have scientific knowledge like we do now um, don't offer um, any evidence uh, that... Uh, that they had these misconceptions about science because the, the source of Scripture is God, not, not the authors, um, is another piece of evidence. And, uh, you know, we could go on and on, and, and Halverson does, uh, but those, I think, are the main things that he covers. Um, so lots of uh, ways to uh, calculate, uh, what sort of, is that a word? Calcul you know, take a calculated approach to yeah. responding. I was trying to turn it into like an adverb, <laughs> um, but uh, it doesn't exist. So ways to, to have these conversations, but friends, you truly have to, to dig and uh, prepare yourself, and it's worth putting the time into because uh, there's a world of hurting and lost people out there, and, um, and we have the knowledge uh, to, to bring them life and grant them freedom. Uh, thanks be to God. So, uh, we've covered a lot of ground today, Stephen. Right. Uh, you want to you want to send us send us out on a high note, or you got something funny you could add, or you know. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything funny. 
Um, I will end this on one Bible verse since this is a podcast about, well, I guess it's not on the Bible, but um, I think it's good to end with a verse. Um, Luke uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 38 through 39. Um, I think it's a great verse that kind of really goes to what we're talking about. When Jesus, after his resurrection, he appears to his disciples and he says, Why are you troubled? Why um, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. I just think it's really powerful that he says, touch me, see me. And, and then he addresses the mind. Why does doubt arise in your minds? And he addresses their hearts and um, like this is truly me. And then he addresses even like I'm not a spirit. I'm, I'm really here. Like I'm flesh and bone. And and I think in a society that's so based off what we see and what we see is only what's real, Jesus was physically there, right? And there's nothing more real than the physical presence of another person. And I think the resurrection really just speaks to the reality of Christ being alive. So, um, but yeah, anyways, uh, I think um, just remind everyone that we have our services are open in person. We have one parking lot service, though, still at... Uh, 8.30, and they actually have a really cool platform now that they can stand on, and <laughs> it's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it might be a permanent structure. We'll see. I don't know. Is it going to be? Well, it's uh, it's got <laughs> wheels attached to it wheels, right so now, so if that perfect. tells you anything. Right. But, maybe uh, we'll make a fountain out of it or something. <laughs> right there. It's a, actually a nice spot. We right. Had a, right outside the, the back door of the church, the main entrance. Um, yeah. we, you know, we're putting it to use in ways we never right. had before, exactly. uh, thanks to the the pandemic right. um <laughs> but we, uh, i got it we'll make a fountain of a, a statue of a of, of you and dan both preaching and water coming spouting top of your heads uh, offering the gift of living <laughs> water, living water. Ah, yeah, i see perfect. what you did there yes perfect. i'm going to trustees tonight so. <laughs> well uh, i promise you if there are uh, anybody builds a statue of me <laughs> anywhere i will be the first to remove it um because you know i don't even like uh looking at the real me much right. less a, a likeness yeah. of, that's true but, you have uh, no mirrors in your house but yeah <laughs> um anyways all right we want to thank everyone for listening and um and we hope to see everyone in person, whether it's 10 o'clock or 1130 service or just show up to a parking lot service. Uh, but again, thank you all for listening and we'll tune in next time.